0: Dutchman could act on me. Motor party, Amato. She got a confidence, could I can bear? She didn't make me feel like a day. All right. This is lecture number two for home going. Opening music featured by Dotman from his album, My Woman. Also, similar to last time, the African-American, African and American fusion of music is is really cool. Um, A lot of really interesting things going on in in this album as well. I think you'd enjoy it if you check it out. Again, Dotman, My Woman. Um, Again, a blend of different... Uh, styles and, and, and influences from both Africa and uh, American R&B. So worth a, worth a listen. Um, so listen, we are lecture number two. This one is on the chapter called Essie. <clears throat> and Essie is the second chapter in the text. How you know? And it starts with this powerful line. The smell was unbearable. In the corner, a woman was crying so hard that it seemed her bones would break from her convulsions. This was what they wanted. The baby had messed itself, and Afua, its mother, had no milk. She was naked, save for a small scrap of fabric the traders had given her to wipe her nipples when they leaked. But they had miscalculated. No food for mother meant no food for baby. The baby would cry soon, but the sound would be absorbed by the mud walls subsumed into the cries of the hundreds of women who surrounded it. Well, you know, this, this is an interesting chapter here. Essie is quite a bit different than her, her half-sister, um, and more will be said about that later, Effia. Effia is a beautiful woman who is sold into a marriage uh, that she doesn't want to be a part of, but she has no choice her stepmother sells her into that marriage with the colonial power for a huge profit, the, the greatest profit the tribe had ever seen. But instead of feeling proud, this is Effia, instead of feeling proud about that sale, she was traumatized to have to leave her culture and move into a strange castle with violent, strange people. These white Europeans who were degrading um, in many ways and created a market system that degraded the African society. Yasi makes it complicated, though. You know, she complicates the issue, and I think in a, in a very positive way. She keeps us, as reader, from vilifying, making a villain out of the colonial powers only. She clearly uses her narrative power to accuse, incriminate, that's a better word, incriminate the African societies who engaged in this profiteering, in this market system. And so it's a very complicated thing that we see. And, uh, and the complications are very important to recognize. And so um, here we have Essie, who uh, ends up in this castle, this slave castle as a slave, and she is thrown into the dungeon, and it's very violent and brutal down there. She is hopeless in many ways, um, and at the mercy of these soldiers. This chapter, as most chapters are, connected connect to other chapters um, through what we call analepsis, flashback. Flashback, analepsis. That's an important idea in terms of the structure of this text. Um, Gyasi uses analepsis to help connect the chapters to connect the history and to connect these characters in powerful ways Um, okay so let me get into my notes here for this next section we are looking at Essie so on page 28 it says that Essie had been, the, the women's, had been in the women's dungeon of the Cape Coast castle for nearly two weeks. She spent her 15th birthday there. That's a bit sobering. On her 14th birthday, she was in the, in the heart of Asante Lan, in her father's big man's compound. He was the best warrior in the village, so everyone had come to pay their respects to the daughter, who grew more beautiful with each passing day. So, again, beauty... This beauty motif is brought up again and again, and it's I can't think of one example so far where it's been positive. Beauty is something that makes these women a target. And to be honest with you, I know that Hollywood and our society makes you makes you feel differently, perhaps. But beauty in even in our culture today, in the 21st century, in America, Southern California, right here, I think in many ways it's the same. I think beauty makes you a target, whether you're a male or female. If you have any kind of physical beauty, you you have a target on your back, and you have to be very, very careful. that You aren't destroyed by by that very beauty. Because, again, beauty is relative. I've told you this story, I think, but my sister, we grew up here in, in South Orange County, but then when she was first married... Uh, at age 21, she moved with her husband to the Middle East. And in the Middle East, uh, my, my sister's very pretty. Uh, she's gorgeous. She got all the beauty genes in the family. So I ended up with just uh, just the skill to know how to read well. But uh, but my sister's very beautiful. And, and she had been trying to kind of fit in to the beautiful stereotypes here, the, the relative beauty ideas here in South Orange County for many years. And so she really worked hard to stay skinny, but it was very challenging. Um, and she struggled with, with all kinds of things that are, that are related to re- trying to maintain a certain you know, body image. But she got to the Middle East, and the women there said, oh boy, you're such a pretty lady, but you're, st- you're too skinny. And so you're, being so skinny makes you very ugly. It nearly blew my sister's mind, right? The relative nature of beauty. Every every society, every region, every culture has different views of beauty. So you have to be wise, right? If, if you kind of match up with the, the beautiful kind of images here in South Orange County, you know, good for you, but be careful, right? You're going to have a target on your back. Uh, and I want to make sure, I want to encourage you to continue to develop things besides your beauty. Don't, don't spend too much time trying to... Leverage your beauty, develop your mind, develop your heart, develop your soul. Uh, those of us who aren't blessed with as much beauty um, haven't received that kind of attention for our looks. And so we've naturally kind of moved toward other ways of connecting. Uh, but those with a lot of beauty often, like Effia and Essie, have targets in their back. And, it, and it's it's sad and scary. I um, mean, it can do very, very damaging things to you. And so so Gyasi is playing with this very fascinating idea Beauty is just one of the ways that she kind of attacks the objectification of people in society. All cultures can gravitate toward this objectification because of human greed. And so here, in the jungles of of West Africa, she's, she's displaying, critiquing the human proclivity to greed. The natural human move toward greed that leads us to objectify each other, which is really sad, but very true. So here Essie, um, here Essie is, and she has been sold by her own family. She has been caught up in the African slave trade. um, And and this is very sad because her tribe is taken, taken captive by another tribe. This is a different kind of violence than we saw in the first chapter. The first one was a family selling their beautiful daughter into the slave trade through A colonial leader it's not really the slave trader, she's not made into a slave but in many ways she's a she's a slave wife she's a wife who's almost like a slave to a colonial leader it's complicated right Essie though is a clear slave she is just captured and taken and then sold to these white traders for a lot of money and um, and again this is one more way that Gyasi is incriminating the African society as well as the European and American society for the slave trade So, um, on page 42, let's jump over there. Part of Essie's story is here. On 42, Essie's mother grabbed Essie's hand and dropped something into it. It was a black stone, glimmering with gold. Smooth, as if it had been scrubbed carefully for years to preserve its perfect surface. I have been keeping this for you, ma'am said. I wanted to give it to you on your wedding day. I, I left one like this for your sister. I left it with Baba after I set the fire. There's a connection right between the last chapter. My sister, Essie asked. So what Abronoma said was true. So this is the first time she's heard of her sister, Effia. Mammy babbled nonsense words, words she had never spoken before. Sister, Baba, fire. Sister, Baba, fire. Essie wanted to ask more questions, but the noise outside was growing louder and her mother's eyes were growing blank, emptying something, emptying somehow of something. Essie stared at her mother then, and it was as though she were seeing her for the first time. Mama was not a whole woman. Mammy was not a whole woman. That's an important phrase. There were large swaths of her spirit missing, no matter how much she loved Essie, no matter how much Essie loved her. They both knew in that moment that love could never return what Mammy had lost. And Essie knew too that her mother would die. Rather than run into the woods ever again, die before capture, die even if it meant that her dying, in her dying, Essie would inherit that ins- unspeakable sense of loss. Learn what it meant to be unwhole. That's powerful. Um, wholeness is another um, motif. Wholeness, brokenness, uh, splintering, shatter, all these kind of ideas relate to this slave trade Um Topic that the story and the novel deals with very focused in a very focused way. So, Effie's mother is not a whole woman, she's unwhole as a state of being. This is the repercussions of a society of greed. So, so Effie's mom is not, so her name is Mammy, she's not a slave, but she suffers under human greed, which is really staged in many ways in this text as the same thing. The slave system and human greed are seen as almost synonymous. Her mom, Mammy, has been traded back and forth between tribes. Conquered, stolen, taken, sold. Used as a tool. Used as a commodity to make money. Because of her beauty. Because because she's a woman. Because she can be captured and sold. So, uh, a fascinating again picture of some of the repercussions of human greed that lead us or lead these tribes into selling one another, conquering and selling one another, but also leads to a massive uh, international slave trade system. All right. Let's look at Quay. Page 51. Page 51. Actually, page 50. Quay's chapter starts with, Quay had received a message from his old friend Kujo "'and didn't know how he would answer it. "'That night he pretended to hear, "'sorry, he pretended the heat was keeping him awake. "'An easy lie, for he was drenched in sweat, "'but then, he, when, he, when, when wasn't he sweating? "'It was so hot and humid in the bush "'that he felt like he was being slowly roasted for supper. "'He missed the castle, the breeze from the beach. "'Here in the village of his mother, Effia, "'sweat pooled in his ears, in his belly button.' His skin itched, and he imagined mosquitoes crawling up his feet to his legs, to his stomach, to rest at the watering hole of his navel. Did mosquitoes drink sweat, or was it only blood? That's a fascinating picture of, of the heat, but also of the of the connections that he is making between being feasted upon by both insects and other people. He himself is an object, he's objectified. Um, Not only by the society around him, but by the very bugs. (laughs) On 51, we see something here. We would like to set up an outpost in the village that would act as a residence for a few of our employees as a way of gently reminding our friends there that they have certain trade obligations to our company. You have been specifically requested for this position and given your parents' history with the village and given your comfort and familiarity with the language and local customs, we thought that you might be a particular asset to our company while there. So Quay is being seduced by the white traders to become part of their system. They will pay him handsomely to do what? To muscle, to threaten, to abuse and oppress those tribes who are not meeting their trade obligations, which means they're not giving enough people. They're not selling enough people to the traders. The next next paragraph quay had nodded and accepted the position because what else could he do but inside he resisted his comfort and familiarity with the local customs his parents history with the village quay was still in effia's womb and the last time he or his mother had been there so scared was she of baba that was in 1779 nearly 20 years ago baba had died in those years and yet still they had stayed away quay felt his new job was a kind of punishment and hadn't he been punished enough? All right. So Quay is the son of Effia. Um, Quay is half African, half European. Half African, half European. And so clearly, that's gonna that's gonna cause some problems, right, for him in a culture that is not half of anything. They are full, and so he's gonna be seen as an other just because of his half European. DNA. Uh, he is the daughter. He is the son of, of Effia and, um, James. So this, this character Quay is split. He is, um, of two different societies, two different cultures. And he is in many ways has a double identity, a double identity, if, uh, if you ever are interested in reading a little bit about, about dual consciousness or double consciousness, uh, that's what Quay suffers from here in many ways. You want to check out a book called The Souls of Black Folk. The Souls of Black Folk by Du Bois. Du Bois. Uh, the Souls of Black Folk by Du Bois is a wonderful text, very influential. Um, in race theory and other ways of kind of viewing race and culture and so forth, but uh, one of the key things that uh, that, are ta- that is talked about in in Du Bois's The Souls of Black Folk is the way in which a black man in America is kept from being whole. He is black, but he's also American, and what du- the way Du Bois describes this is this tension between being both black and both being black and American and trying to hold himself together. But seeing the society around him wants to continue to pull him apart. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Again, very influential Du Bois's the souls of black folk. And so Quay, in some ways, I think you would see him as a product of, or or his characterization is influenced by Du Bois's uh, narrative voice in the souls of black folk. Uh, Quay's, Double consciousness is emphasized by his um, temptations to be and enter into homoerotic behavior, right? We see his uh, connection to Cujo, his friend, but he's also very attracted in a sexual way to Cujo, and he doesn't understand why. Um, I think in some ways this can be seen as homoerotic, but this homoeroticism can be seen as a symbol for a greater confusion in his heart of who he is and a struggle. Not that the homoeroticism is a, is a confusion, but that he's struggling against it is part of the key confusion in his mind. His desires do not match up with the acceptable behaviors of his society. That's a that's a key point. Um, the homoerotic... Scene on page 60 is, is pretty important for this idea to develop. Page 60. Um, we see here on the bottom, Quay knew he should tap the ground three times, the signal to end the match, but he didn't want to. He didn't want to. He didn't want Kujo to get up. He didn't want to miss the weight of him. Slowly, Quay relaxed his body, and he felt Kujo do the same. The boys drank in each other's gazes. Their breathing slowed. The feeling on Quay's lips grew stronger. A tingling that threatened to draw his face up toward Cujo's. Get up right now, James said, and the boys got caught in this in this compromising position, to say the least. So, why the homoerotic scene or struggle? So I've mentioned that already. So there's something a the tension inside of Quay uh, where his desires don't match up with the the acceptable body of behaviors of his society. But this is as a result of his split identity in some ways, his double consciousness. As a man of two cultures, he's going to naturally struggle with a, um, a conflict between the two. And again, this is not to say that there should be a conflict, but this is one of the problems that I think that is pointing at Why is there a struggle? Why is there a conflict at all? Why should this boy be in conflict in his own skin? Well, it's as a result of stereotypes, prejudices, racism that is built upon something as simple as appearance. Something as simple as appearance is causing quay, all this devastating double consciousness. And so... It's is an important thing to notice here, right? This, this idea that we judge one another based on the color of our skin, the tone of our skin, the, the way our hair curls, doesn't curl, you name it. The shape of our noses, our height, our width, um, you, you, all these different things we could, we could really make more categories for. But how do those categories help us? How do those physical categories based solely on appearance, help us understand one another? The simple answer, they don't. The simple answer is categories based on appearance are harmful, are, are simplifying in the most harmful kind of way. How do we arrive at understanding? We ask questions. We ask questions. We find out about each other and how we were raised, where we came from, what the influences are. And from there, we can understand each other and and help each other not feel the weight of separation, but rather connection. So Quay here feels very disconnected. Um, He feels disconnected because he is half white, half black. Uh, His friend, Cujo, even asks him, are you even black? What page is that on? Um, Oh, yeah, on page 55. Are you white? Cujo had asked him, touching his hair. Quay recoiled at Cujo's touch, though many others had done the same thing asked him the same question i'm not white he said softly what speak up Cujo said and so quay had repeated himself nearly shouting from the distance the boy's father's turned to observe the commotion not so loud quay james his father said quay could feel the color flood into his cheeks but kujo had just looked on clearly amused so you're not white what are you i'm like you kujo held his hand out and demanded that quay do the same until they were standing arm in arm touching Skin touching skin, not like me," Cujo said. Quaid wanted to cry, but that desire embarrassed him. He knew that he was one of the half caste children of the cast of the castle, and like the other half caste children, he could not fully claim either half of himself, neither his father's whiteness nor his mother's blackness, neither England nor the Gulf Coast. So sadly, much of Quaid's struggle internally is as a result of the society reacting to him externally. The society around him, the societies around him, simplify him and simplify others, which is so tragic. All right, let's move on here. Ness, Ness is our next one. No, Quay, I think we'll end with Quay right there because we've already hit the 22 minute mark. And that gets us through the first section of reading. So we'll stop with Quay, and I'll pick up the next one and try to tackle Ness, James, and Kojo all in one, uh, all in one podcast, which would be quite a feat. All right, hope you're enjoying this. I'll talk to you soon. Email me any questions you might have.